All righty there. That was Art Deco with I Was a Teenager after, off of their album After the Head Rush. And you are listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD, 89.3 on the FM and online at KZUM.org. Perhaps you're using one of those handy-dandy, smarter-than-a-calculator devices and listening to the show on your favorite mobile listening app like TuneIn or Next Radio. Or you could be using one of those archive options that we have for you. You can hear the whole show for up to two weeks after original broadcast date by visiting kzum.org slash archives. Or you can select the SoundCloud option there through the website and catch uh, the talk portions of the show sometime soon after original broadcast. All righty. Well, I've got lots of articles for you from various sources. I uh, have had some downtime at work, so I've been perusing the news while I'm waiting for more things to do. All righty. So from the Hill... Uh, one of those many news sources out there. An article from Tuesday by Brooke Migden. Uh, Americans with Disabilities Act protects transgender people, or so a judge rules. All right. Well, my mouse is not working with me today, so I have to use the keyboard command, so do bear with me. All right. So from the article, transgender people are protected from discrimination under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. A federal court of appeals ruled this past Tuesday. The ruling stems from a 2020 lawsuit filed on behalf of Keisha Williams, a transgender woman who was incarcerated in a Virginia men's prison, despite the fact that she had been receiving hormone replacement therapy for nearly two decades. Williams was initially housed on the women's side of the Fairfax County Adult Detention Center, according to court documents, but was moved to the men's facility after she informed a nurse that she is transgender and had not undergone gender-affirming genital surgery. Following her housing reassignment, Williams was uh, was regularly harassed by prison deputies and male inmates who repeatedly misgendered her and made her fear for her safety. Prison officials also withdrew her hormone therapy for weeks at a time, causing her to experience significant mental and emotional distress. She spent more than six months as a woman incarcerated alongside men with whom she was forced to shower and subjected to body searches. She sued Fairfax County Sheriff Stacy Kincaid, as well as a prison nurse and a deputy after her release in 2019, alleging that the prison had violated both the ADA and the Rehabilitation Act in failing to adequately treat her gender dysphoria. The sheriff's office, in responding to the complaint, argued that gender dysphoria is not a disability under the ADA, in part because it is an identity disorder not resulting from physical impairment. Some of you may recall Corwin and I talking about this when it first occurred or first came across our news feeds. The ADA, initially adopted in 1990, specifies that its interpretation of the term disability does not include gender identity disorders not resulting from physical impairments, as well as transvestism or transsexualism, both of which are outdated terms. Oh my God, are those outdated terms. Attorneys for the defendants argued and the district court held that the exclusion of the statute applied to Williams' gender dysphoria, thus barring her ADA claim. However, 
On this past Tuesday, the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled to the contrary, arguing that gender dysphoria is not a gender identity disorder at all. Mm-mm-mm. The American Psychological Association, the APA, in a 2013 update of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, known as the DSM-5, removed the diagnosis of gender identity disorder, replacing it with gender dysphoria, a diagnosis that did not exist when the 1990 uh, ADA was adopted. While the now rejected diagnosis of gender identity disorder is characterized by a gender incongruence or an incongruence between a person's experienced gender and their sex assigned at birth, the newer gender dysphoria diagnosis focuses on the clinically significant distress that a person experiences because of the mismatch between their gender identity and their sex assigned at birth. In short, the gender dysphoria diagnosis recognizes that incongruence between a person's identity and birth sex is not the problem in need of treatment. The clinically significant distress associated with that incongruence is, according to attorneys for the GOBT legal advocates and defenders, GLAD, uh, writing last year in an amicus brief in Williams' case. An amicus brief is a friend of the court. Uh, according to the DSM-5, discomfort caused by gender dysphoria may result in intense anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and suicide. Uh, according to Judge Diana Gribben-Motz, uh, writing in her opinion, which was published this past Tuesday, reflecting this shift in medical understanding, we and other courts have thus explained that a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, unlike that of gender identity disorder, concerns itself primarily with distress and other disabling symptoms rather than simply being transgender. Mods also sided with Williams on a second claim that even if gender dysphoria and gender identity were not categorically distinct, Williams would still be protected under the ADA because her gender dysphoria has a known physical basis. According to Motts, when uh, prison officials failed to provide hormone therapy to Williams, she experienced, among other things, emotional, psychological, and physical distress. Williams does not merely allege that gender dysphoria may require physical treatment such as hormone therapy. She maintains that her gender dysphoria requires it. I think that was almost a... Uh, Redundancy there, but yes, that's pretty much the entire article there from The Hill. Uh, there is a link that's going to route you through msn.com being posted to the Facebook page for Lavender Hill right as I'm speaking. All righty, well, I'm not going to go through every single article word for word that I have pulled up for you because I've got a dozen more and, you know, only about 45 minutes left in the show. And, well, we've got to have music as well. Speaking of, let's go ahead and have a music break off of the soundtrack to season two's Queer as Folk. Here's Mandalay with Beautiful. Make sure I got all my buttons turned on. Yes, you are beautiful. That was Mandalay off of the Queer as Folk Season 2 soundtrack. That's the original Queer as Folk, just to you know, clear up any confusion that may be going on there for anybody. All righty. Well, not known as one of the most liberal states in the U.S., uh, Salt Lake City, Utah... Uh, is uh, where I'm getting this from. This is uh, from the Associated Press from Friday, the 19th of August, with uh, Brady McCombs, or Combs, excuse me, and Sam Metz writing. 
Uh, transgender kids can play girls sports in Utah after this ruling that came down. Transgender girls in Utah will be given the opportunity to participate in girls sports as the school year begins after a judge on Friday reversed a ban pending legal challenges from parents. Instead of an outright ban, transgender girls will now be sent before a commission that will determine on a case-by-case basis if their participation compromises fairness. So, you know, not the greatest news, but hey, it's getting there, right? Utah's Republican lawmakers created the commission in a law passed earlier this year as a fallback plan to be implemented in case of an injunction against the law. And there was... Under the law, the panel will be allowed to ask for and assess the child's height and weight in making decisions about whether a transgender girl would have an unfair advantage. Height and weight. Height and weight. What does that have to do with girls' sports? What does that have to do with girls? Basketball, volleyball, softball, anything like that. I really don't know. I mean, when I was in school, I was up until high school. I was the second tallest person in my class. The tallest person in my class, her name was Amy. She was over six foot tall, weighed close to 200 pounds. Yes, unfortunately, because of her height and her weight, she was a subject of bullying. So was I. We had an interesting friendship, that's for sure, being kind of relegated to that end of things. But uh, yeah, so what does height and weight have to do with anything here? I really don't know. It's not like they're wrestling. Unless you have a girls' wrestling team at that school. I don't know. Uh, I'll let you read the entire article if you want to. It's going to be posted uh, over to the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. I just kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. Uh, That uh, link is available for you as of right now on Facebook. So go ahead, check that out on our Lavender Hill page. Just look for Lavender Hill KZUM if you're not already following that page. Well, let's go from Utah to Florida. Yes, Florida, Florida, Florida. What has Florida man done now? Well, let's find out. According to Jennifer Kay, uh, an article on Bloomberg from uh, Thursday the 18th of August, a Florida law restricting workplace bias or diversity training violates the First Amendment and can't be enforced, according to a federal judge who ruled this past Thursday. Uh, So, hmm, what do we got going on, right? Okay, this is kind of along the same lines as uh, the don't say gay and all that. Uh, The preliminary injunction granted by Chief Judge Mark Walker of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Florida doesn't address application of the law, HB7 is law we're talking about, in Florida schools. A group of students and educators represented by the ACLU filed a separate federal lawsuit Thursday challenging that portion of the law. If Florida truly believes, Walker wrote, we live in a post-racial society, then let it make its case. But it cannot win the argument by muzzling its opponents. Because without justification, the law attacks ideas, not conduct. Plaintiffs are substantially likely to succeed on the merits of this lawsuit. Walker compared Florida to the upside down. 
little pop culture reference there. The parallel and distorted reality threatening the characters in the Netflix series Stranger Things. The First Amendment bars the state from burdening speech, but Florida's officials have barred private actors from burdening speech, he said. Recently, Florida has seemed like a First Amendment upside down. Now, like the heroine in Stranger Things, this court is once again asked to pull... Asked to pull what? Pardon me, computer. Asked to pull Florida back from the upside down. The law violates the First and Fourteenth Amendment rights of private employers and consultants for diversity, equity, and inclusion training, according to the lawsuit filed by honeymoon registry technology company Honeyfund.com, Ben and Jerry's franchisee Primo Tampa, and workplace diversity consultancy Collective Concepts and its co-founder Shavara Oren. The plaintiffs are represented by Protect Democracy and Ropes and Gray LLC. You can read that entire article if you want over on the Facebook page. I'll be posting that link here during our next break. You know, can't quite post live, but I'm getting there to it. Uh, and I do have some more Florida man BS for you as well. Uh, going from NBC News from Friday the 19th of August, an article by Joe uh, Yerkaba and Zachary Shermel. Sh- uh, uh, Florida teachers navigate their first year under the Don't Say Gay law. Michael Woods, a special education teacher at a high school in Palm Beach County, Florida, said he used to have a classroom library with shelves of dozens of books that students could take home and read for fun. The library included uh, some unfortunate choices in my literary opinion, but hey, they're, they're books that are popular. Twilight, the Harry Potter series, and a book called Meg, which is a thriller about a shark. But when school started this week, the classroom library was empty. The books now sit in a school closet in part because of new laws that restrict classroom instruction. One of the measures, the Parental Rights and Education Law, or what critics have called the Don't Say Gay Law, bans instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. That's a tongue. Uh, Another new law restricts instruction about African-American history. Mm -hmm. We were just kind of talking a little bit about that in its upcoming uh, suits. As a result, Mr. Woods said the school district of Palm Beach County sent out a checklist in May that teachers have to use to review all of the books in their classroom libraries. Woods said he doesn't have time to go through every book with a checklist, so he decided to take them all down. I know that may sound lazy to some of you, but he has a point. And to quote him here, I don't have any controversial books, but what we keep hearing repeatedly is, well, if something happens, you could lose your license. He said, referring to a state educator's license. So they will remain in a closet, not helping anyone. I think putting those books in a closet is a little bit of a... uh, uh, analogy there for you. Anyways, you can read the entire article on the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. I'll be posting that during the same break as the previous one. All righty. Well, let's see here. Coming up almost halfway through our news articles and almost halfway through the show. I might actually make it. I don't know. An article from NBC News. Boston Children's Hospital warns employees over far-right online harassment campaign. 
Yeah, a hospital that has had to warn about far-right harassment. Brandy uh, Zadrozny and Phil McCausland uh, writing for them on... Uh, do my math here, do my math here. Tuesday, August 16th, 2022, Boston Children's Hospital has warned employees about mounting threats and is coordinating with law enforcement after far-right activists on social media began targeting the hospital with false claims about its treatment of young transgender people. It's the most recent in a series of attempts to target hospitals for their work with trans youth, adding to an ongoing wave of anti-LGBTQ sentiment that has hit libraries, schools, and even a trans-inclusive Los Angeles spa. The public relations officer of Boston Children's Hospital sent an email to employees with guidance on how to respond to harassment and threats earlier in the week, citing an increasing or excuse me, an increase of threatening and aggressive phone calls and emails sent to the hospital commenting on treatment of transgender patients. The email was confirmed to NBC News by a current employee. Boston Children's Hospital first became the target of activists in recent weeks when well-followed social media accounts such as uh, Libs of TikTok which has often promoted groomer discourse that falsely linked LGBTQ teachers and parents to pedophilia, began to make a variety of false claims. One allegation said that the hospital offered trans, or excuse me, gender-affirming hysterectomies to children under 18 years old. Wow, that's an erroneous claim. Conservative influencers with millions of followers pushed similar false talking points and fanned the flames further. David J. Harris, a podcaster and supplement seller and single-issue activist, including Chris Elston, who goes by Billboard Chris for the anti-trans statements he wears on sandwich boards, are among the right-wing social media stars who have spread the allegations online. You can read more about this at NBCNews.com. Follow the link that I'll be posting here shortly on the Lavender Hill page on Facebook. All righty. Well, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the world today. I know a lot of it seems to be sad and bad. And truthfully, it is. But there is also a lot of good news. And I'm going to try to wrap the show up with some of those for you here after a while. But it is time for us to take our bottom of the hour break, have a little music, and get those links posted for you to Facebook. All righty, perhaps not the most up-to-date song for us there, but it's been a while since I played Rufus and Beverly. That was Brian Bowers. There's more than one version of that song out there. And, you know, just kind of goes to show that folk singers were a little ahead of the game sometimes there. All righty, well, remember last week I went on a rant, a well-justified, in my opinion, soapbox rant about uh, censorship and removing books from school libraries and all that? Well, we're going to get back on that a little bit, but I'm not necessarily going to get up on that soapbox. I'm afraid of heights. I mean, goodness sake, I'm almost 6'3". Six thir- six That's far enough to fall, right? Anywho, visiting over at LGBTQNation.com, an article by Daniel Villarreal from Friday, August 19th, 2022. The headline reads, Fox host outraged that school district pulled the Bible from shelves in Book Challenge. Yeah, you heard that right. 
So let's get to that article here. Fox News hosts have expressed outrage over the Bible being removed from school library shelves in a Texas school district, claiming that the book should be allowed even though it contains stories of incest and violence and promotes slavery, the subjugation of women, and the murder of LGBTQ people. Yeah, think about that one for just a moment there. The Fox News panel also said that banning the Bible from schools uh, furthers a Democratic plot, even though the school district's home county traditionally votes Republican. The Christian religious text was removed by the Keller Independent School District Book Challenge Committee this week because it was challenged for having sexual content and violence, along with 40 other books, most of which featured black and LGBTQ characters. The district's school... Uh, principals were told to keep the books off of library shelves until the district has completed its review of each book's appropriateness for student readers. Mm-hmm. The uh, four female and one male hosts on Fox News talk show Outnumbered expressed outrage over the book's removal. Over the last 50 years, nearly 4 billion copies of the Bible have been sold. Show panelist and former press secretary of President Donald Trump, Kaylee McEnany, said, oh, I couldn't say her name then, still can't say it now. Compare that to Harry Potter, which is number three at 400 million. Not only that, foundation of the world's largest religion, a... um, No. A uh, classic historical text, no. If you don't believe it in the religious context, at least it can be appreciated in that context. Um, no. But that's the one we're removing. Yes, it is. What's so difficult to digest here is that the, is that the whim of a few has such an impact on the many, said co-host uh, Emily Campagno. Uh, even though the other several dozen books were pulled from the shelves because of the complaints of several parents and activists, this is literature that this school should be exposed to. The fact that because one person or three put the Bible on the list is absolutely horrifying. School administrators need to step up and say, absolutely not. Every day without the Bible is a day lost. Oh, wow, public school here. Hello. Okay, I personally don't have a problem with the Bible being on the shelves of public schools. I don't have a problem with the Quran or the uh, poetic Eddas or the Vedas or... This, that, and the other thing being on the shelves. I don't. This was, in my opinion, an act by a few to point out the erroneous reasons for pulling other books from the shelves. Hit them where they think is what these individuals were doing. And I think hopefully it's going to cause some people, maybe not in Texas, but some people somewhere in the U.S. to think, hey, why are we removing certain books from shelves? You know, there's several books that have been banned over the years that are back on the shelves. Several books that I read when I was in elementary, junior high, and high school that have been pulled either before I was in school or after I left school. Books that, you know, keep coming up under question. You know, uh, Catcher in the Rye, Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, all kinds of books from, you know, my parents' and grandparents' time that were, you know, considered classics when I was in school and are still considered classics by many literary experts that were pulled for one reason or another and then placed back on the shelves with certain, you know, instruction given to teachers 
or librarians on how to talk with students about the content. And really, any book that is allowed in a public library, public school library, pardon me, should come with some kind of instruction for teachers and educators to talk with the students about the content if the student brings up the questions. That doesn't mean I expect every teacher out there to have read every single book in their school's library. I don't expect every librarian to have read every single book in their library. That is a, wow, momentous task. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to read my own personal library this summer, and whoo, it's not going as well as it could. It's going much better than I thought it would, but whoo, there's a lot of books that I haven't read. There's a lot of books out there that teachers haven't read. There's a reason why they have these kinds of committees to determine what books are allowed on the shelf. But when ultra-right-wing conservatives focus on, oh, this character is trans, so we can't allow little Johnny in the 10th grade to read it. Or this book is about a little kid having two mommies or two daddies, so we can't allow it to be read in kindergarten. It's just talking about different family dynamics there. Hello. Okay. All right. I said I wasn't going to get up too high on the soapbox, so I'm going to go ahead and step off that soapbox for now. And make sure that link gets posted. Hello, post. Okay. You can read more about it if you want. I encourage you, as always, to follow the embedded links within the article. But we got a little bit more of, <laughs> falling back, putting it in your face, whatever kind of things here. An article from Pink News, uh, pinknews.co.uk. Republican claimed an LGBTQ book was child porn. She was then reported to police for possession. This is an article by Amelia Hansford uh, from yesterday, Saturday, August 20th, 2022. Uh, Republican candidate Rayla Campbell was reportedly referred to police after she lied that an LGBTQ plus book she was holding had child porn in it. Campbell, who was running for Massachusetts Secretary of State, reportedly claimed that the book Gender Queer contained child pornography at a Back to the Blue rally in Plymouth, Massachusetts. The book is an illustrated memoir about an artist's non-binary asexual identity. Shortly afterwards, Campbell was seen talking to a police officer with a TikTok clip showing both Campbell and the officer flicking through the book. Multiple sources have said that a police complaint was made that Campbell had, in effect, insinuating that she was in possession of child porn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, local hate watchdog uh, Fash Alert MA posted a Twitter thread detailing the situation, saying that Campbell was late to her own campaign event because someone reported her for possession of child porn. Campbell invited supporters to the Black, or excuse me, Back the Blue rally, which saw an appearance by Joseph Imperatus, the uh, founder of an organization named Blue Lives Matter. That tells you what they mean by Back to Blue. Uh, ahead of her own campaign kickoff event that same day, pro-LGBTQ plus activists and allies had attended the event to protest Campbell's campaign later moving on from the rally to her campaign event, holding signs and progress pride flags. 
Yes, she has a history of anti-LGBTQ plus sentiments and in June confronted a drag queen story hour hosted at a library in Holbrook over the genderqueer book itself. Uh, Campbell recorded the confrontation on Facebook with footage showing pro-LGBTQ plus parents and activists trying to shield children from her. You'd have to watch the video to see why, but I think you can probably imagine. Alrighty, I'll be posting that link as well as some others over to the Facebook page for Lavender Hill because I'm not going to get to everything today, but let's see what else I might be able to get to. Oh, hey, might there be a Cheney dynasty in D.C.? Oh, kind of, sort of, already has been. Is Liz Cheney thinking about running for president? Well, she's not done with politics, despite her lo- her loss in Wyoming. Uh, she just needs to ensure that Donald Trump doesn't win. So she doesn't care if she wins. She just wants to make sure he doesn't. Representative Liz Cheney, a Republican of Wyoming, lost her leadership assignment for standing up against former President Donald Trump. Uh, she lost her seat in Congress to Harriet Hageman a candidate who was pro-Trump and endorsed by him. Cheney voted in favor of Trump's impeachment after the January 6th MAGA riot at the Capitol and has played a leading role in the subsequent investigation into Trump's attempted uh, overturn of the presidential election. Now Cheney is becoming the face of the Never Trump movement. And rumors are swirling that she will run for president in 2024. She won't win, but she could spoil Trump's stroll to the nomination. Speculation has buzzed that that Cheney would throw her name in the ring, so we'll just have to wait and see exactly how this goes down. But, uh, yeah, a little bit of a Cheney legacy, right? Hmm. Old Dick might have some proudness going on there. All righty, so let's go ahead and take ourselves a music break here. I'll try to get those articles posted while I'm at it. And then we'll come back and, you know, have some other good news for you here. At least I hope you'll think it good news. All righty, we're going to hear To Myself by Alfie or Curry, runner-up on Australia's Got Talent a few years ago. All righty there. That was Alfie R. Curry with To Myself, a single from a few years back. And uh, you are listening to Lavender Hill. Got a little bit more than 10 minutes left in the show, which means I can try to address a couple of stories here and there. Uh, I'm not going to touch that one right now or that one because it's related. So let's just, you know, stick with some good, happy stuff here or something like that. This first one here is not necessarily good and happy, but at least it's something that's going to make you sit up and pay attention. According to an article from Friday, August 19th, 2022, over on LGBTQNation.com, article is by Greg Owen, a Marine heroically tackles a man who brought a grenade to an LGBTQ bar. In Florida, yes, Florida, uh, in the Florida Gaborhood, uh, Wilton Manors, on Tuesday of last week, a man was tackled to the ground after he pulled out a grenade at a bar. The takedown at popular watering hole The Corner Pub was captured on surveillance video outside the bar's front door around 9 p.m. Witnesses say the incident started when the man, whose identity hasn't been released, walked into the bar and set a grenade down in front of him. 
He showed me a grenade. He said, don't be scared. According to bartender uh, Joseph Shakespeare, uh, talking with South Florida's local 10 News. I was just thinking, stay calm because we have a lot of people in there and this is our community. So I want to keep everybody safe. As they talked, Shakespeare says the man claimed there were guns in his car as well. A bar regular and former Marine, Daryl Darling, overheard the exchange and moved in to help. The man was agitated at somebody in the bar looking to pick a fight, Darling recalled. He had shown me a grenade immediately as I walked up. It looked real. Darling kept the man occupied in conversation and bought him a drink while Shakespeare called his boss, who notified the police and quietly got the rest of the crowd outside. The bartender handed me a note that said, the guy behind me has a grenade. One witness told WSVN News, I grabbed my stuff and left. While patrons made their escape, Darling says the two talked about their histories in the military and the police. Well, hey, good for you, Mr. Darling. Thank you for continuing to be the hero that you always have been. And I'm sure that many in your Florida community appreciate you. All righty. Well, have you been watching The Sandman on Netflix? I don't know if you have or if you haven't, but I have. I'm not fully caught up. I know they just dropped a uh, surprise episode for this weekend. It was only supposed to be 10 episodes. At least that's what they were saying. Well, there was an 11th one that got dropped, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about who was cast to play Desire. One of the main characters there in the Sandman story. If you're familiar with the uh, graphic comics of old, if you're familiar with any other uh, manifestation, if you will, of uh, Lord Morpheus and his family, then uh, you know you know Neil Gaiman is very fond of throwing in some wrenches. Well, somebody tried to throw a wrench at him, and it paid off for them and Neil Gaiman. Uh, Desire actor Mason Alexander Park made a very gutsy move in an exchange with Neil Gaiman on Twitter during casting for the show. Um, The gender-fluid personification of Desire, one of many queer and trans characters in the show, slays so hard, according to one uh, Twitter fan uh, and another one calling it pure perfection Netflix has revealed that Parks casting came out from them simply asking creator Neil Gaiman on Twitter to consider them for the role during during the early stages of production on the series Gaiman tweeted people reading Sandman now are the last ones to get to read it in a world where there's been no Sandman adaptation on screen Uh, where you can't see it on a screen. I heard the groaning hinges of the world, Gaiman said. Uh, Park tweeted a response. Will Desire be making an appearance in season one? And if so, please tell me you haven't found them yet. Still auditioning. They included a gif of Sarah Paulson saying, I am begging you from my soul. Well, Sarah Paulson right there, that's enough to get your attention, right? At the time, they had only played one off roles in shows such as Before You Know It and Transplants, later starring in another Netflix series, Cowboy Bebop. But, you know, sometimes it does pay off to reach out direct. Luckily for Park, the tweet did not go unnoticed. Gaiman said not only was Desire in the show, but pointed Park in the direction of the casting director. 
Park echoed what everyone was thinking by replying, you continue to be one of the coolest humans out there. Thank you for the info. Yes, Neil Gaiman is probably one of the coolest people out there when it comes to um, writers of modern day fantasy, science fiction, and I would go so far as to say modern mythology with his interpretation not only of uh, Sandman and his family, but uh, his interpretation of so many other wonderful modern myths. And, you know, I'm perhaps inspired by ancient myths, but, you know, modern interpretations thereof. Uh, and, you know, Neil himself is definitely one to keep your eye on. All righty. Well, I will be getting ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson here on the women's show. She's probably looking at the screen going, you don't have me set up yet, Phil. That was a hint for her because I don't. <laughs> but I will try to get that done for you here. But uh, Twyla is going to be interviewing. I just had her name. I got her last name. What's her first name? Nikki Bloom. Bloom, 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 B-L-U-H-M. At least I know how to spell it. About one of her latest albums. And then uh, Twyla and Deb are going to be uh, doing some chick chat because, well, it's that time of the month again for them to keep you up to date on some of their favorites that have been coming into the studio here of women musicians out there for you. All righty. Well, I'm going to go ahead and hit play on the music here for you and see what all we have happening as I get things lined up. But, uh, you know, make sure to check out the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. You can follow those article links that I discussed as well as a few others that I didn't have time for uh, and, you know, kind of get an idea of what it is that strikes by not necessarily fancy, but at least grabs my attention when I'm sitting there at work wondering what to do. Because <laughs> that's pretty much where all these came from. All righty. So here we go. We are going to uh, hear from Sarah Peacock, an unreleased, officially at least, unreleased song of hers off of her uh, album, I Am Woman. This is Fallen Angel. This was a special release for some of her fans out there. <laughs> 